they were really upset. They, I think they might have even had some people from the government like keeping an eye on things there. Hello, bonjour, shalom, and welcome to Culturally Jewish. I'm David Sklar. And I'm Ilana Zakon. Join us as we explore Jewish art, culture, and identity in Canada. Mama always wanted me to be a doctor, but I became an artist and that really shocked her. Now I'm interviewing people in the biz, pros, and newish, but all of them are artists and they're culturally Jewish. This week we head south of the border to chat with Jeff Rothpan. Jeff is a Montreal comedian and writer who lives in LA. He has written for Just for Laughs, The Jeff Dunham Show, and most recently for Roast Battle Canada, which has been nominated for Best Sketch Comedy Series, Best Direction, Best Writing, and Best Performance from the Canadian Actors Screen Award, which occurred on April 11th. Full disclosure, Jeff is my second cousin. And we'll get to his interview shortly, but first, let's take a listen to some of his stand-up routine. I did have a bar mitzvah. That's another, there you go, had a bar mitzvah. I uh, had that going, and uh, they t that's the ceremony where they, you celebrate becoming a man. I don't think you're a man, really, at 13, you know, right? You still go home with your parents. <laughs> Thought I was a man, you know? You're not allowed to spend your bar mitzvah money on a hooker, I mean. <laughs> Thought I was a man over here. What, what, what do you mean she has to leave? <laughs> My dad called me a self-hating Jew. I said, it's not true, I hate you. My parents were typical Jewish parents in that they yelled a lot, you know, there was a lot of yelling. Uh, Jews don't hold back, right? They just, they just said, uh, my parents though had really brilliant fights. They would try to outwit each other in the fight. I remember one time my mom said, I hope you drop dead. And my dad said, I hope it's while I'm driving you somewhere. <laughs> True story. So I know what you're thinking, listeners. Uh, we did a first episode about puppets, and now we're doing another episode about puppets. I promise you that Culturally Jewish is not only about puppets. <laughs> However, uh, this seems to be a, a big topic right now in the news, um, apparently in the arts community, I'm learning. Um, what, do, what do you think about um, puppetry, David, in terms of exploring these stereotypes or social issues? Is this problematic or not? I mean, I love puppets. Um, that's sort of where I got my start. I was touring a show for about eight months over Quebec. I was doing so many different puppets uh, for a show called Whispers in the Air by Attila Clemen. And they were specifically like Newfoundland characters and Newf N Newfoundland characters, um, they were based out of Newfoundland. And I think when we went to St. John's to perform it, we were all very, very nervous, right? Because we were putting on Newfoundland accents. We didn't know how these audience members would react. A lot of us were terrified because we didn't have a lot of instruction on how to make these accents. We, we, we really wanted to get feedback from the people living there. Nobody was offended. No one had a problem with our, with our voices or our accents, but it was something that was definitely a concern of ours when we were doing this show. So I know, I know it can be touchy, especially what we talked about the week before and what we're going to talk about with Jeff today too. But Alina, have you ever worked with puppets? Has ever this been a concern for you? Um, not to the extent of uh, putting on a Newfie accent and going to Newfoundland to perform, but when I was in high school, I did this program called Kids on the Block uh, through uh, Herzliya High School, but it's a big disability awareness puppet show that a lot of schools perform all over North America, um, and all every puppet had a different disability, and it was a way to teach elementary school kids about, you know, people who live with disability and I thought it was really touching and really effective and we'd have a little Q&A at the end where the puppets would answer the questions about you know how what is it like living with xyz 
Um, but there was no accents involved and we weren't, you know, doing really stereotypes. It was actually humanizing people through the puppetry. I want to ask you a bit, because I know we're about to talk to Jeff, um, and I'm not super familiar, um, with the comedian that he worked for, but you, you mentioned that there's, um, a terrorist puppet before we listen to the interview. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is and what your thoughts are on it? (laughs) Well, there, there is some, like Jeff Dunham is a very popular comedian and, and puppeteer, and he would tour not only North America, but the world as well. And one of his puppets just happens to be called Ahmed the Terrorist. And this was wildly popular. People loved it, especially, I think, in more of middle America. And I know Jeff Dunham received some flack for it over time, sort of saying, this isn't funny, this is gratuitous, it's insulting, it's ill-tempered. Now, Jeff Dunham's response was, look, I I skewer everybody, white, black, Hispanic, Christian, Jew, gay, straight, redneck addict. Um, So he was just saying, this is just my my routine. And he would stress that, look, Ahmed is not necessarily Muslim. I don't know if that still lands and sticks, to be completely honest, because part of the criticism is, well, he never he never really spent a lot of time skewering conservative country crowds, right? You know, he never really went after these people, which is really his largest constituency, and and it's part of his upbringing. I know when he went to tour Malaysia, he did have to change the name. It wasn't uh, Ahmed the terrorist; it became Jacques Merd, the dead French terrorist. Um, oh my goodness! So there, there, yeah, so there definitely was some pushback, and I wonder if you can still get away with doing this puppet to this day. I don't know if it's going to land the same way. And I wonder, and I don't know if he's had to drop this, this mm-hmm. particular puppet. He has many other puppets too. He has many other characters. I just don't know if this one is still, if it's, if he can still get away with it, to be honest. I would guess not um, with the way that culture has changed so much just in the last few years with um, PC culture and the arts, which uh, to some extent, it's not a bad thing. I'll tell you a really quick story. I was in an improv show a few weeks ago, and we had different troops, and I didn't know one of the troops. And I don't know if this person was Jewish, but someone gave out a prompt in the audience um, for it to be like Passover to be their uh, their get, which is like when you ask the audience, can I get a you know, a word on this topic or whatever. And I was like, oh, I really hope that this isn't offensive. And she like came on and was like this creature that was like, oh, like I'm coming to take all your bread. And then under her oh, breast, she was like, and all of your money. And I was like, oh. and everyone in the audience, like either was like tense and not laughing. And then there was like three people who laughed and then regretted it. And I was like, oh God, this is one of those moments that I hear about. So I was like, maybe having a little bit of censorship is not the worst thing. Cause I, it felt like a subconscious anti-Semitic thing that happened. It wasn't like she, cause she was like, oh, Jews, like, what do I know about Jews? They love um, bread. Those Jews just love bread. <laughs> so it just, I feel like in that moment, I had a lot of empathy for like friends of mine who um, are part of like visible minorities who talk about not wanting people to stereotype them on stage for that exact reason. And I was like, yeah, I understand now firsthand and I did not feel good about it. So I think this lends itself to the puppetry uh, as well, especially when you're doing something with a terrorist. I think it's really different. Like if you listen back to our first episode um, where we talked to Allison and Joe from Scapegoat uh, about their show Vertip, they were Jewish artists exploring an issue using stereotypes. I think that's very different than 
um, Jeff Dunham, who's creating, it, it seems like it's more for the joke, this terrorist puppet, um, than anything else. And to me, that feels like mockery as opposed to exploring a social issue. You know, all very fair comments. We will dive into all that with Jeff Rothpan, and we will explore not only Ahmed the terrorist, but many of the other writings that Jeff has done throughout his storied career. My first question for you is about getting to the U.S., how you broke into the industry there, because that's something I've always been really curious about. I read a lot of memoirs of comedians specifically and actor comedians, actor writer comedians, and I love hearing the stories about how they would pack up their bags from small town America or Canada or wherever they came from and, you know, just take the bus or take the uh, plane down to Hollywood and try to find their way in, whether it was they got discovered in a coffee shop or they finagled their way into some kind of party. And I wonder what is the Hollywood experience that you had compared to some of the ones that I might have read and what it was like to be a Canadian suddenly in in uh, Hollywood. It, it was, well, yeah, it was tough because uh, I'm not an American. I did meet uh, a, a great woman who I married who was American, and it helped kind of make it easier to get a green card and to prove I didn't marry her just for the green card. We're still married 30-something years later. Uh, so, so, Well, are you an American citizen now, or are you I still am, trying I, to work I, the I'm, angle of, oh, okay, no, very I, good. I, and, I'm, and I became an American citizen because I wanted to vote in, uh, in, the, in the last couple of elections, I, it ended up that I've been living here all these years. I should maybe have a say, and I pay taxes here. And so I am a citizen of both countries, but, so I still keep my Canadian uh, citizenship, and, uh, but I am an American because there's certain people we got to keep out and maybe people you got to vote in. So I'm trying to do my part in uh, helping out here. But um, Anyways, I, I, but at the time, though, it was not uh, a foregone conclusion that I would end up staying. Even though I got married, they were very suspicious of, at the time of people coming to the United States just to get a green card and to, you know, get work. But uh, the way I was able to, uh, first of all, get even seen by people from the United States that would want to hire me was because there was a, just at the beginning, the Montreal Comedy Festival which was starting to do shows in English. It was a French comedy festival at first. And I, uh, when I saw that they were doing this big-time comedy festival in Montreal, I thought, maybe that's kind of a way to get seen. And so I just started really kissing up to all the festival organizers. I was just uh, doing whatever I could to break into that comedy festival from... Uh, as soon as it started in English, uh, and they were bringing in some big names at the time. It was Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld was there for the very first English big galas. And it was very unorganized and kind of crazy. And I was just thinking, I got to get into this thing. I probably got in around 89, 90. And sure enough, I got seen by, there was one agent who uh, offered to represent me in Los Angeles if I moved out there. You know, you know as, you, as you were talking, I'm just very sympathetic because I'm sure Alana has the same feeling, but anytime I have to travel down to the States and they sort of ask me, what do I do for a living? I used to say, actor, very, very, very proudly. And they'd say, show us your bags, show us everything. They would rifle through everything. Really? As my partner, lawyer, never, they just wave on never through. Happened yeah, to me. that happens all, Usually all the they'll time. just say, what if, have I- I've stopped saying I'm an actor. Usually they say, have I seen you in anything? <laughs> That's, that's as far as it goes. Oh, boy. 
they're more suspicious for me then. So it's just, I, I sympathize to all the artists that, that originally had to do that. And now it's just tougher than it was, I'm sure, in the 80s, Jeff. I, yeah. I, I mean, I used to go down, I remember to the United States to try to do some college shows. And I had to sort of not say I was getting paid for them and things. I, I remember just getting really nervous when I did, went over the border too before I got into that festival. Mm. And, uh, but even with the festival, had I not gotten married, it, not, it may not have been a guarantee that I could live in the United States legally for, for you know, uh, without getting paperwork. And, and I believe my agents were going to start some paperwork. But when they heard I was getting married, they're like, oh, well, just marry her and that'll take care of all the paperwork. It makes yeah, it a lot easier. That's the way to do it. I want to change gears a little bit and talk a little bit about Jewish comedy, Jews in comedy. Um, you certainly moved to LA at a time where that was like, you know, all the big shows, um, a lot of them were being spearheaded by Jewish writers or Jewish actors. Um, what, what is your take on that these days? Do you think that's still the case in, in the world of comedy out there in Hollywood or have, have things changed as the Borscht Belt humor disappearing or is there like a new generation coming in? Oh, uh, there are still definitely, a. Uh, Jewish uh, performers, writers, it's, it's, it's more varied now than people, uh, maybe it used to be, I guess, because I know Jewish, uh, a lot of Jewish comedians, you know, obviously came out of the Borscht Belt way back then. They, 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 we all felt like we were, I guess, on the, it's, I'm trying to think of the right word, where, where we felt like we were not part of the group. And so we'd sort of have to laugh and, and make jokes about not being part of the main group, maybe. Right. Uh, and now, and now, and now it's sort of like other uh, people who feel that way have gotten into comedy from from uh, people from different countries. So now you'll see, I mean, you'll just see everybody. You'll see uh, a person from Japan doing comedy here talking about what that's like. And, and so it's definitely much more mixed, I think, than it used to be. Like I said, the only way to be unique these days is to talk about your own experience and not just come up with, you know, observational stuff, which a lot of people can do. You're still kicking. You're still writing. I, I know you, yeah. your comedy has evolved. You used to do more stand-up, as you said, but now you're doing a lot of writing. And mm -hmm. I know you've been writing for some Instagram stars, too. I don't know if you can mention who they are. You might have a, oh, a, sure. a non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> but, but what has changed in the writing style then from doing the typical stand-up shows to writing now for maybe TikTok and Instagram? Yeah, um, that's funny. I think uh, uh, because... Well, yeah. So, so Instagram stars started becoming a, a big deal because they started, and they were, you know, doing their own sort of comedy, not necessarily live comedy, to an audience, but to an audience just watching on their phones or computers. So, uh, a lot of them started becoming really popular, getting huge amounts of followers, and and now if somebody like that showed up to an appearance to do some comedy, they weren't very good live with with the audience they were good maybe on their instagram account being funny one-on-one -on -one, sort of so to speak but uh, a lot of these comedians who ended up getting a big following they would get an agent in la who would notice hey this person has a big following they do some comedy let's start putting him on stage and and then it's a new way for them to make a lot of money uh in the comedy world so the only problem was a lot of the instagram stars were just not good at doing live shows in front of big audiences so the my managers, uh, who, who actually represent some of these celebrities, brought me in to write for a couple of them. One is uh, goes by uh, Tammy, or Trailer Trash Tammy, and I write jokes for her. It's a character she's been doing for years on Instagram, <laughs> huge following. And she goes to 
uh, in her videos, I think she was going to like fast food places and sampling, giving her reviews of, you know, really, really unhealthy fast foods and stuff like that. I'm not on TikTok um, and I don't plan on, on getting on, but um, I, I used to be very involved in like the YouTube world back in the days of like vlogging and sketches and all that stuff. And it's funny to think about a paid comedy writer writing for Instagram stars or for TikTok stars, because to me, that's a platform that was kind of founded on the principles of you're being yourself and you're self-made. And it's so interesting. I didn't even, it never occurred to me that maybe there's a writer behind it. That dichotomy is so interesting. Yeah, they, what I think a lot of, what I think as people become more popular on some of these platforms, they can actually afford, they start, I guess, getting money for it somehow yeah. at a certain point. And they could afford to bring on other people to perform with them and to maybe write with them. Uh, in my case, though, it is mostly for these people when they go on to a live show and do a, uh, a performance. Okay, got it, a got it. Club or theater. So, so the performer then is like, in fact, I think it just for laughs in Montreal, I remember there was some big uh, Instagram star that they brought in to do comedy on one of the big galas at the shows there. And uh, this person just bombed because... Even though, and they had a lot of followers who came to the show. So it actually, the, the, I mean, the festival makes money by people buying tickets. The only problem is now you have this Instagram star who's performing for their fans, but doesn't do it live normally. The way you're describing it right now, it just makes, it just makes me think of sort of like a theater performer versus a film actor, commercial performer, right? You have yes. the chops, you can do these things on Instagram. You might have more followers than anyone else, a million followers, but can you deliver when you have to be in front of 1500 people live? Do you have the stamina, the vocal dexterity, the range? Do you, can you move your body as opposed to you're stuck in a little camera on, on Instagram and it's a very different beast. Exactly, and so there's very few people I've seen do it. And one of the people I write for is this, uh, She, like I said, goes by Trailer Trash Tammy. Her, her real name is Chelsea Lynn. She is an actress, and but she just does this really funny trailer trash character. And uh, so when she goes on stage, I mean, people are cheering, whooping and hollering, going, woo-hoo, yee-haw, and all that. And, and, but now she, they're excited because they know her from Instagram, but now they want to see if she's really funny on stage, I guess. And so you got to kind of prove yourself. And so I've been helping her with uh, just sort of presenting jokes that work for live audiences. That's that's where I sort of specialize, I guess, because I had done it myself for so long. Uh, at the Montreal Comedy Festival, when I even started writing for them, I got to write for Steve Martin uh, and other like big time, uh, you know, hosts of some of the galas there. And uh, that was a huge learning experience for me, and, it, and it's really, we're all the same. We all, we're all worried, is this going to work or not, uh, even at that level. Not to make you name drop more, but to make you name drop more, um, I'm really <laughs> curious, who is sure. your favorite comedian that you've worked with? Someone that you've written for or that you've gotten to perform with or um, someone that maybe you did a show with, but they had their own act. And what is it about their comedy that, that you feel works and lands? For the name dropping part, I guess I would say, uh, I mean, Steve Martin was my favorite comedian as a kid. When I was a oh, little really? kid, he used to do wow. stand-up Wow, got to work with him. Before he, became into, before he got into the movies, I remember him putting out vinyl records of his stand-up shows. And uh, even though I didn't quite get exactly what he was doing, he was sort of playing a guy who really thought he was funny, but wasn't. And that was what made people laugh. He was like, hey, how you doing, everybody? I got an arrow through the head. He used to do this sort of like almost like corny on purpose act. Uh, and I used to just 
think he was the funniest man. And then uh, I know now he still does comedy uh, uh, with Martin Short. They do a tour together. And I, those are the types of lines he does now. They're very smart and, and maybe a little cutting. And so I mean, it was a big thrill to write for him. Uh, and, and, uh, and he appreciated it and, and said he really enjoyed the process of writing jokes together and all that. And so that was an experience I won't forget. Uh, I guess another one would be John Cleese from Monty Python fame and from, amazing. you know, he, and he He's one was of the very, best. oh yeah. It's amazing how some of the best I've gotten, like some of the best comedians or comedy people in the business were the, the best to work for. Some hmm. of the people I didn't That's feel telling. that great as comedians were like, like we got, I had to write for, uh, her name, uh, Pamela Anderson was hosting one of the gals at the festival and she was really difficult to work with and she doesn't do comedy. And here I am trying to help her <laughs> come up with jokes, but she didn't know what jokes to pick because she didn't get them or okay. she would show them oh, to, wow. I think she showed them to a friend at PETA to get his approval because she's a big PETA person. And it was like, this is bizarre. I know you've, you've been on Jay Leno. You've, you've written for a lot of really famous comedians too, but I'd like to spend a bit of time on Jeff Dunham if we can talk about, about him. Last week on our podcast, we had some Montreal puppeteers and we were talking a bit about stereotypes, especially Jewish stereotypes. Um, for those listeners who don't know much about Jeff Dunham, can you sort of lay the groundwork when it comes to like maybe one of his puppets, Ahmed, the dead, dead terrorist, and the, the writing you do for Jeff Dunham? Oh, sure. Um, and so when I became a, a more of a writer, I had worked with Jeff Dunham as a, I was kind of an opening act for him uh, as he became more and more popular. Uh, he needed also somebody to help uh, just with some of the writing and adding material to some of the characters. He had all these different characters in his act. Uh, and now they're, uh, it's funny because now some of them are, are, are considered very politically incorrect. Uh, he still uses them and, and he just figures, well, uh, you know, that's what it's going to be. But uh, so he has, uh, yeah, Ahmed the Dead Terrorist came from, uh, it was an idea he had after, maybe a, a year or two after 9-11 had happened uh, with the, the terrorism there. He thought, well, I've always wanted, I, I want to ask these guys, what are they thinking? And he came up with this goofy character and it kind of like threw people off at first and really shocked people to see him talking to this, you know, this dead terrorist who blew himself up to, uh, and so he thought, uh, over time, just make him kind of a bumbling, goofy guy, but explaining that, oh, I'm just so angry. And he kind of makes him look like a big loser, really, a bumbling idiot who blew himself up by accident. Uh, and so there was a way to uh, sort of address uh, some of the, I guess, people's fears and, and found a kind of a way to laugh about uh, some of that stuff. But uh, anyways, he, uh, he I, you know, these days he has trouble probably bringing a character like that on. I remember the Today Show, I think, told him, do, please don't bring the terrorist character on. Is this is these are just two sensitive times, very sensitive times. Please don't bring that one on. Uh, so he brings. Right. Uh, usually he'll bring one of the uh, other ones, which is very uh, like more like uh, this Walter the old man puppet, or he has Peanut, which is sort of a purple Muppety looking thing. Uh, but yeah, writing for him was uh, it was a bit of a challenge because they're all different characters and. He, he wants good jokes for all of them and treat them like they're real and not do all these typical, uh, you know, oh, he's made of wood, you know, uh, jokes or hand up the butt jokes because uh, he's a puppet. Uh, uh, I don't even know if I answered your question, but uh, so. When you mentioned Jeff Dunham, I know you were touring a lot with him internationally, right? You went to yeah. Israel and I think you also yeah. went to, what was it, the United Arab Emirates? 
That's right. Abu Dhabi. So you were Abu Dhabi. Great, great place. But there has to have been a much different reaction with Israelis versus the uh, an Arab population. But you're still are you still doing the same jokes with Jeff Dunham? So that was the so yeah this international tour which is still I believe you're able to see it even maybe on the Canadian Comedy Channel uh, maybe on demand perhaps there was one called uh, All Over the Map and we that was a world tour and they brought me along because he was going to they were going to make this into a special where each stop on this world tour uh, he was going to do his regular act but also some special material for each place and I was there to help him come up with stuff for each place that was local material or you know about Australia or uh, Israel or whatever so we I would at maybe the day before or day of I'd be writing new material for him to do that night so the reaction in Abu Dhabi and Israel it was funny because we were going to this place Abu Dhabi is really considered more of the liberal of the uh, Arab nations I guess you could say where you he was allowed to do material uh, using Ahmed of uh, the dead terrorist and the funny part is, uh, he was loved in both places, both in Israel. We were performing, and he was performing in Tel Aviv. Uh, and the material uh, that Ahmed did was basically the same in both places. And we think he might have been uh, loved for different reasons, but he, they, but that character was loved in both places. Like uh, maybe Abu Dhabi, they thought he was like a hero. <laughs> maybe, and in Israel, they loved the fact that he was a dead terrorist. No. But, I don't know, but I know he did. He was a, he's a sort of a lovable character because he's a loser, really, uh, in the end. And uh, he doesn't, uh, you know, when, when he talks about his life, he's just he's a, he's kind of a mess. He acts like he's very mean at first, and then you find out he's just he's an idiot. Doesn't know what he's doing. He's you know he's obviously dead, and so not doing well. But uh, so but but the only place we had trouble on the tour where we were not allowed to use Ahmed the dead terrorist was actually a more of a strict Muslim country. It was and I didn't realize this till I was sort of going there. Oh, it was um, it's near Singapore. Uh, it was an Asian country that uh, Malaysia. Malaysia, that's it. Malaysia is was much more strict about using Ahmed. They they told us not to use Ahmed. Uh, on that, and it's in the it's in the special. Actually, we talk about that, and he's uh, we end up using him anyway. We just we actually disguised him as a as a French uh, Ahmed's French cousin, so we were able to get away with doing that. That was uh, that was uh, and and so we still got to use, and the crowd went nuts. They knew we were using Ahmed. Just we we put a little mustache on him and made him a like a little French guy, French terrorist, so they wouldn't perceive it as a uh, some kind of a terrorist from the Middle East. It was bizarre. But anyway, it worked. I hope you weren't chased. I hope you weren't chased out of the country by the end of that. Chased out. They would have kept us there, I think, if, if they were really upset. they I think they might have even had some people from the government like keeping an eye on things there. Even though they're a Muslim country, they, were, they, were, they love this Ahmed character all over the world. In fact, Years later, it's been harder to write material for him because we're trying to stay away from the terrorist stuff because there's still some bad news going on and you don't want to bring this terrorist character out when people are, uh, you know, when some incident happens. So we've been trying to make him a character about, you know, what's it like living in, you know, the, the West, North America, and, and, and him trying to get figure out a life here. So that's what we've been working on material-wise for him. Otherwise, I don't even know if he'd still be in the act, but he's still so loved. That he's always Jeff has to bring him out, or the people go crazy. So we uh, we have one last question for you, and then uh, we'll let you go. You've, sure. we've taken up enough of your time. Um, oh, no problem. If you had to give advice to a new comedian, let's say a Canadian 
comedian, what would you say? Would you say that, you know, it's still better to go out to um, L.A. or New York or, you know, what what would you tell them? It, uh, you know, it, it really depends. It's so, uh, it's a whole different world now with all the streaming networks and things uh, that, and ways to, with social media to, to be seen. You almost don't even need to go anywhere necessarily. You can still be discovered now, like in your home, like these Instagram people. Uh, but if you want to pursue stand-up comedy, uh, and oh, I never even got to it really. I used to never really talk about being Jewish because Jewish audiences would get offended with me because I don't have the some classic Jewish look, I guess. So they used to think oh. I was not a Jewish guy making Jewish jokes about Jews. And so they would get offended by me. And I would have to explain to the audience, no, no, I'm Jewish. I just, for some reason, don't seem or look Jewish. I, I look goyish. Wow, the inside, there's a feel, lot there. I feel fully Jewish. I have a lot. Of, yeah, so that was my whole thing. Like, But I, I do have Jewish jokes when I perform uh, at four Jewish events now. I always make very, very clear that I look, I don't may not look Jewish, but believe me, I am, and I'll prove it with all the angst I have. But That's so interesting, uh, <laughs> too, because I feel like we need to be breaking down these stereotypes of what a Jewish person looks like. There are so many people that look so different. There are people who convert. Yeah. There are people that have one parent who is and one who isn't. There are people who are fully Jewish and they just don't look the same. So I right. think... Uh, right. I think that's well, got to change. That. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. Yeah. And, and like I said, oh, and so so as part of this, I would say to any comedian, like now I would talk about it more, just talk about it from the fact that people don't think I'm Jewish and maybe I could do a bunch of jokes about that. Uh, and so I tell uh, comedians who are starting out now, uh, uh, basically uh, talk about your own life is the only way, like I said earlier, to be different and to stand out. Uh Pick some stuff that really happened to you. They always say, write what you know. And yeah. uh, there's a there's a reason people keep saying that. That's the stuff people really can relate to. Uh, I used to I used to do more of an observational act because I didn't really want to talk about myself. But when I started talking about my own life, that's when people really connected with me. And that's when I, those were the jokes that were most quoted. Uh, so I say uh, to people, try to, uh, first of all, also, the, maybe the main thing for a new comedian starting out is get on as much as possible. That's where you learn everything. You just learn just from going up there. Even as you stand there for the first time on stage facing an audience, you'll learn a ton because right away in your head, you're probably going, oh my God, that joke I thought was going to work is probably not going to work now that I see this audience looking at me. You learn immediately uh, from, from going up. So I tell comedians, even if you're not getting paid now, uh, it will pay off if you just keep going up. That is the best learning you can do. And like I said, if you can uh, do something to make the audience like you off the top, that's going to make your job a lot easier and it's going to make them laugh a lot uh, easier. If you can be a little more likable off the top, maybe a little self-deprecating. Like when I go up on stage, I sort of make fun of my name, Rothpan. I talk about how a lot of people get it. They, they think they've never heard. The, Rothpan's a little weird because there are no other Rothpans in the world. It's A lot of people think it's Rothman. And so people hmm. always write down Roth. I go, no, it's Jeff Roth Pan with a P. <laughs> uh, and I tell people I did my family tree research. I went back and uh, looked uh, all the way down the family tree to find out that Roth Pan is actually, yeah, it's a, well, Roth Pan, it turns out, is actually a Russian word. It means Rothman. So I make fun of all that stuff about myself off the top. And once they like me, I really can do way more. So they, this is some of the advice I will give people is to... Uh, Go up as much as possible, be likable, and then when you're writing material, uh, mainly make it about what's really happened in your life. 
and uh, and then you just got to keep working it out almost every night like a it's almost like a rehearsal each show is a rehearsal for the next show mm-hmm. i want an, an alana can thank you too but i'll thank you first jeff thanks so much okay. for coming on uh oh, our podcast you, and i do hope to Pleasure. see you sometime in the future down in la been a while since I've seen you. What are you up to? What am I not up to? <laughs> I feel like this is the crunch time, even though there's a writer strike going on in the States. So it's slowed down film auditions, but very busy with finishing up everything else that I'm working on writing projects and I'm teaching and the semester's almost over. So after we finish recording, I'm about to head out yeah. and um, help some kids learn some songs and poems for them to gallivant in the theater of their school. So anyhow. Because not everyone is familiar with this strike that's happening in the States. It's affecting Canadian artists as well too, right? Yeah, there's a writer's strike and we don't know how long it's going to go on for. So everything's kind of on hold. But I mean, these days I'm mostly doing theater and voiceover anyway. So it's just the talk on the town, you know? It, it is. I see people posting on Instagram and Facebook saying we must vote yes or we must vote no. And I, I really don't know how I'm going to vote in mm. the end. What else is new with you? Well, I just got back from Europe. Oh, where did you go again? And I went to Sweden. I went to the Netherlands. I went to Belgium and I finished it off with 24-hour whirlwind in London. Oh, nice. Was it your first time in all those places? No, I mean, I lived in the UK for a year, so oh, I, right. I frequently I go to London to see like just to see shows and everything. So that that's why I wanted to end up, I, I got to see a show in London in the end. But the other places, no, I had never been to Sweden. I'd been to Amsterdam, but I had an amazing time in The Hague and Harlem and Leiden and then Bruges. Bruges was like a beautiful, beautiful old city in, in Belgium. So I was very happy to go there. Oh, so you loved it. I feel like before you left, you were not the happiest camper. <laughs> no, because I had I no desire to go right. to Sweden. <laughs> yeah, as usual, John is is right. And I had a it, Stockholm was beautiful and clean and pristine and, and efficient. And I was I, I did not want to leave the Netherlands. And oh. honestly, like in being in London was kind of a letdown post Brexit. Everything felt run down and ramshackled, except for the theater. What show did you see? So I saw the Lehman trilogy. Are you familiar with it at all? Who who's that by? That sounds really familiar. Well, so it's like it's um it's by an Italian novelist, but it, it got adapted and changed and eventually translated by uh by Morella Cheeseman. She's the one who did the English version, and it's okay. won all these different awards. It, it was originally at the National Theater, and it came back for like a short three week stint, I believe. So we just happened to be there during that three week period, and it's about the Lehman Brothers and their like rise from being poor. Jews coming to North America to building up one of the biggest financial institutions in the world with their eventual 2008 collapse. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's a really good segue into what Jewish art things are happening in Canada uh, while this episode is going to be released. So we do have the Toronto Jewish Film Festival that starts up on June the 1st and goes until the 11th. So if you're in Toronto or visiting, uh, be sure to check that out. Is there anything on your radar out west, David? There's so much of stuff happening right now, but uh, this is happening on June 6th. It's not as prestigious, maybe, as the film festival. It's just a simple, good old-fashioned hummus making on June 6th, arranged by Jewish Adult Calgary and 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 the community. So their tagline is, jack up your hummus making skills with this hands-on workshop. You get to learn how to make hummus. So for anyone in the Calgary area, it is again June 6th at 6.30 p.m. That's very fun. I want to give another shout-out to a show coming up. 
um, by the Dora Wasserman Yiddish Theater, which is part of the Siegel Center in Montreal, called I Kid You Nosh. So it's a multilingual musical comedy uh, inspired by stories from the members of the Yiddish theater community, which has been together for a long, long time. And they're going to sing all sorts of different songs, Yiddish, English. It said there's going to be a bit of French, Hebrew, and Ladino mixed in. And it's all going to be related to Ashkenazi Jewish foods and how that ties into culture and memory and family. So Ashkenazi Jewish foods. So bland, boring, and just full of salt. Wow, you're really proud of your ancestry, David. <laughs> I can I can criticize my own, can't I? I, I guess you can. Culturally Jewish is hosted by me, Ilana Zakon, and me, David Sklar. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman, and our theme music is by Sarah Siegel Lazar. We're a member of the CJN Podcast Network. If you like this episode, go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out a lot. To support our work and everything the CJN does, visit the cjn.ca/donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.